How's it going, Church of Beloved? My name is Brian Simone, one of the pastors and the elders here at our church, and it's really great to be with you here today, and for anybody who's tuning and visiting for uh, the first time, it's, it's great, and, and, and you're really welcome here, and we're really happy to have you. It's been a couple of weeks since the last time that I've preached, and, uh, you know, shelter in place is still in place. In fact, it's been extended for another month, and if you're like me, you're probably not thriving to say the least. In fact, if you're like me, uh, you had this way that you were doing life before and it might not have been perfect, but at least it kind of worked. At the very least, it worked better than this. And then shelter in place happened and it turned your life just upside down. Your routine, your, your way of doing life, your bread and butter, it all went out the window. You know, um, I was... Uh, for me, you know, shelter in place, one of the challenges has been uh, that my wife is what you might call an essential worker. And with shelter in place, she's actually working more than what she normally does. And I think part of my part in all of this is to support her. Support her in the work that she has to do for the community and for the people of Chicago. So what I've done is I've tried to just take on more of the responsibilities at home and with our family, with our two young boys. And that means trying to do a lot of stuff that I wouldn't normally do. I'm trying to figure out how to even get the right groceries. Even that is more challenging than it was before. I had to figure out a way to feed my kids. Very early on, I came came to the realization that if my family's ability to survive this pandemic is based on my current cooking abilities, then we were going to be in big trouble. And so I'm constantly doing more and more. I'm waking up with the boys and getting them through the day. And it all go, It seems to go minute by minute, hour after hour, up until the point that I lay my head down on the pillow. It's just filled with so much more stuff that I have to do. And honestly, sometimes I feel like I'm just drowning. And sometimes I feel like I'm frustrated and tired. It gets to the point where I think that this is more than I can handle, but I just have this image of what I want to be during this time, the person that I want to be, the kind of father and husband that I want to be, so I just keep trying to do more and more and more. And so I see a counselor regularly, and my therapist told me, you should try to tell your family how you feel, the turmoil that's within your soul. soul. And so I decided to try to do this. So one night last week when things were particularly, when it was a particularly rough day, When I felt like I was getting to my breaking point, I decided to tell my family how I was feeling, how overburdened, overworked I felt, how much pressure and anxiety I felt. But at the same time, I was conflicted because there's part of me that I want to be the type of father and the type of husband who puts this stuff on myself so that that my family members don't have to worry about it. There's a part of me that says, I want to bear these burdens so that my wife and my sons don't have to bear it. So I was conflicted, but I was trying to get it out, and I was speaking to my family. I said, I feel like, I feel like, I feel like, and I just couldn't get it out. I was stuck. I was searching for the right words to say, and they just weren't coming up. And so I was sitting there in front of my family. I feel like, I feel like, I feel like, and bless his heart, my seven-year-old son Isaiah comes up to me and says this. He looks at me and says, Daddy, I know what you're trying to say. And I was like, really? Could my seven-year-old understand me on that level? Does he really know what's going on beneath the surface? I said, Isaiah, what am I trying to say? And he said, you're trying to say, I feel like an idiot. What? 
That's what you think that I'm trying to say? You're not trying to say, I think I'm trying to be the best father or husband. My son looks at me and says, this guy is struggling and this guy has not figured it out. From the mouths of babes, right? And he's right though, because I can't really hide it. I'm still trying to figure out how to make this work. Is it the right hobbies? Is it the right community? I was talking to one sister about Animal Crossing. And she was explaining it to me. She's like, yeah, you like have your own island and you build your house and you raise these crops and you have neighbors and you can go and say hello. And she was explaining it to me for like five or six or seven minutes. And then I was like, yeah, but when do you attack your neighbors? At what point do you go to war? And she's like, that's not part of the game. I was like, that's probably not the right game for me. You know, I've watched The Last Dance on ESPN. I've watched the things on Netflix that everybody's watching. And those things kind of help, but they don't really do it for me. I'm still left trying to find what is the secret in all of this. I thought maybe it's just not available to me. I asked married couples without kids because in my mind I reason they must have the secret sauce to do well in this coronavirus shelter-in-place time. They're married, so they're not alone, but they're not ki- they don't have kids yet, so they don't have the added responsibilities of watching out for their kids. But even they told me that it's hard, that that's not the secret. And so the question is, what is the fix to this? What is the secret to getting our lives back on track during shelter in place? But you know, if you take a step back, I don't think this is just something new or unique to shelter in place because I think a lot of us do this in our normal lives. You know, we all have this idea in our heads that there's a better way of living. There's this idea that there's this there's an other way of living, and that's the way that our lives could be. We have this picture, if we close our eyes and we imagine it, of what the good life would look like for us. But at the same time, we think that there's something that's keeping us from it. The only thing holding us back, the only thing that's keeping me from the good life is some trick, is some secret knowledge, is some secret. I mean, think about the books that you read. What catches your attention on social media? Think about the diet fads that come and go or the beauty products that you buy. The world is constantly offering you things that they say this is the thing, this is the secret that will get your life, that will get you to be the type of person that you want to be. But this idea that there's just some secret to life that you're missing out on that's causing you to miss out on the good life the better life, it's nothing new because it's exactly what Paul was addressing to the Colossian church. You see, because in this young church, there were these teachers who were coming and trying to sell a secret, this higher spirituality that was apart from Jesus. They were saying, beginning with Jesus is a good thing. You're off to a good start. But now it's time for Christianity 2.0. The true secrets of God could only be found in these angelic visions or through special dietary practices or these aesthetic practices, whatever it is, there was something, there was some secret that was apart from Christ. They were saying, Jesus, yeah, he's great, but he's not enough. There's something needed in addition to him if he really wanted to unlock true spirituality and power. And Paul actually acknowledges that by talking about this mystery of God three times throughout today's passage that Joanne read for us. He says in chapter 2, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. 
that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and then listen to this, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is in Christ. And you can almost imagine the Colossian people hearing this letter read for the first time, saying to themselves, yes, that's what we want, the full assurance of understanding, that's what we want. The knowledge of God's mystery, what is it? What is it? Please tell it to me, Paul. And then Paul ends his sentence with these three little words, which is Christ. The mystery is Christ. You know it. It's not hidden from you. There's no mysterious knowledge out there that you must discover that is apart from Jesus. Jesus is the mystery of God and it is only in Christ alone that you will find what you're looking for. And church, I think that is the same thing that the Bible is saying to us today. The same thing that the Word of God is speaking to us today. There are three reasons if we look at this passage that we can believe that only in the mystery of God and nothing that the world offers you, only in the mystery of God will we find the happiness, joy, and satisfaction, even the good life that we've been longing for. So these three truths are this. The mystery of God is available. The mystery of God transforms. And the mystery of God gives purpose. Okay? So the mystery of God is available to you. Do you, do you, do you ever watch TV infomercials? Right? Where they're trying to peddle you these products that you never knew that you needed, but they're telling you this is what's going to change your life? It can be like a pot that like, you can just strain the pasta, sauce, uh, pasta water straight out of. It could be like these brownie molds, so every piece is like a corner piece. And they always promise you that this thing will change your life. You need this, but they, do, they always do this trick. Oftentimes they do this trick where in the little corner of the window, they'll have like a timer. And they're saying, this deal is for a limited availability. For the next five minutes, if you call in, we'll double your offer. And it seems silly, right? Because you saw that same commercial the night before. And again, same little timer. And you know that it's not a special offer. You know that that timer is meaningless. And it seems pointless, but they do it, they do it because it works. Because we're all drawn to what is rare or scarce or exclusive. These ideas like limited availability or special access, they speak to something deep within us. I don't know if you guys know much about sneakerheads and their culture, but the fact is Nike and Adidas and these shoe companies, they could make enough shoes so that everybody could get them. But they don't. And that's on purpose. They tell you that it's, there's not enough supply to go around. If you want this shoe in this special color, you have to do what's required of you in order to get a pair. And that's why sneakerheads will go into great lengths. They'll download multiple apps. They'll, walk in, they'll, they'll wait in line for hours. They might try to form relationships so they have a special connection. It's because they want to be the types of people who are in the in crowd. Think about it this way. Kanye West did not become a billionaire because of his music, which was basically available to everybody. He became a billionaire primarily from his shoes, which, play, which played on our need and our desire and our hunger for what is exclusive. You see, we all want to be in the in crowd. We all want special access. We all want to be in the know. We want to be in that inner circle. And it's because on some level, we're afraid of being left out in the cold. It's this fear of being left out that drives our desire for that which is exclusive. But, but this is the thing. The mystery of God is not exclusive. It's available. 
You look at verses 26 through 28. It says, The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints. In verse 27, he says that it's great among the Gentiles, the glory of this mystery. And if to reemphasize this in verse 28, he says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And this is what Paul is saying. You can be a saint. The apostles, the people who look like they're holy and righteous, the people who look like they belong with God, the most religious people, right? You can be a Gentile, somebody who looks like a complete outsider in the faith. But what Paul is reiterating and reemphasizing in verse 28 is that the mystery that we proclaim, Jesus, is for everyone. Everyone has access to this mystery. Everyone can be presented mature in Christ. And let me tell you what that means. You know, for me, it means a lot because you know what? I didn't come from a Christian family. I didn't, wasn't raised by Christian parents. And you know, growing up, I wasn't a very moral or ethical person. You know, in my younger days, I was the type of person that youth group pastors would ask not to come back to youth group. I was the type of person that good Christian girls in my school would tell their good Christian girlfriends not to associate with. If you don't believe me, you can ask my wife because she was one of them. In fact, you know, I haven't gone to Bible college and I haven't gone to seminary. And if Jesus, if access to Jesus was limited, if you needed special access, if you needed the right pedigree or higher education, I would not be here today. But the very fact that I'm standing here today and preaching the word of God is proof that the Jesus that Paul proclaims, that we proclaim as a church, is available to everyone. And what does that mean for you? It means that no matter where you're at today, no matter how you may be struggling, there's nothing that disqualifies you from a relationship with Jesus Christ because other than Jesus Christ, there's nothing in this world that qualifies you. The Jesus that we proclaim The Jesus that the pastors and the elders of our church have access to is the same Jesus that we proclaim that you have access to. There is no exclusive secret. There's no special access. Jesus is the mystery of God revealed 101 and there is no 102. We only proclaim Jesus and we proclaim him to everyone. And everyone includes me and everyone includes you. The second truth we see in today's passage is this, the mystery of God transforms. You know, one of the things I like to think about, I I play these kind of scenario games with my friends sometimes, but if you had a time machine and you went back 30 years and you told them about the world now, what is the thing that they would find most unbelievable about today? Right? What is the thing that they'd be like, that can't be true, how did that happen? And, you know, I don't even think it's coronavirus and this pandemic and this shelter in place because I think they would find that somewhat believable. And it's not even the fact that Donald Trump, who was like a businessman in the 80s, is now our president. I like, you know, I mean, Ronald Reagan was an actor, so they'd find that somewhat believable. But I think the thing that they would find most unbelievable about today is how much we drink bottled water. I think they would struggle to understand, wait, you pay money for something that is basically free. And it's not that we discovered that bottled water is healthier than tap water, because in America, for almost all of us, that is not the case. And it's not that we figured out that bottled water tastes better than tap water, because they've done countless studies, and it's not true. It's not true. You can't tell the difference. 
And so the question that these people would have when they look at bottled water today is they would ask, why do you do it? Why do you choose to pay for something that's available for free? Why do you choose to pay more than we have to? And it's the same reason why luxury brands exist. It's the same reason why designer bags and fancy cars exist. We're willing to pay more than what we have to because the price we pay say, says something about us. We pay more because it means that we can afford to pay more. We pay more because it means we're successful or we're wealthy or that we're hardworking. It says that we've got it together. It deserves, says that we deserve nothing but the best. It says that we're worth it. Premium pricing exists because we are desperately looking for value, self-worth, and identity in this world. And now a lot of us would agree that money can't buy us love, but I think a lot of us, if we're honest and look at our lives, we're living lives that say that money can buy me happiness, or I can buy my way to a better life, or if I buy the right things and I can feel better about who I am as a person. And look, straight up, I understand the appeal of it. You know, I was watching that last dance and Scottie Pippen was talking about how he grew up and he was saying he grew up really poor, but everybody was poor, so he never felt like he was lacking for anything. Now, I never grew up poor, but I grew up around a lot of rich kids. So growing up, I always felt like I was lacking for something. They had all the cool clothes, they had the right shoes, they had the right cars, and I never did. And that had an impact on my self-worth or my identity. So much so that growing up, you know, I'm the child of immigrants and they can, my parents could never fathom the idea of spending $100 on sneakers for a kid. And I just always felt less than, because all the cool kids had those Jordans, and I didn't. But you know what? If you go to my closet right now, much to my wife's chagrin, stacked to the top of it are countless pairs of Jordan shoes. Because there's something about me that says, now that I can buy it, now that I can buy it, now, that I, now I feel like I have found that worth or that value that I was always lacking. Same thing about cars, same thing about a lot of different things in my life. What wasn't given to me, I bought. And when I bought it, it made me feel better about myself. But this is the thing, I've been in positions where I've lost everything too. I've been in positions where I've been laid off, where I've gone from thinking about million-dollar bonuses coming up the next year to actually filing for unemployment. And so what happens if your identity is wrapped up in what you can buy? What happens when you're just not able to buy as much anymore? Honestly, for a lot of reasons, I'm in a position in my life where I will never make as much money as I once did. And if that's the true, if that's true, if all of us are coming to a bending of our earning curve, then what do you do with your identity and your worth when you can't buy as much as you used to? You see, you spend money hoping that it will change you, but it never really does. You're still the same broken, insecure person who just has a lot more stuff. But this is the mystery of God. It transforms you. Look again to verse 26 and 27. Verse 26 basically says that the mystery hidden for ages and generations has now been found. It's been revealed. It does not say that it's been figured out by you. Right? Paul is not saying like this is like the King Arthur legend and the sword and the stone and you know the mystery of God was a really hard problem just waiting around for the right person to figure it out. He's not saying that this mystery of God can be figured out or solved or worked out by you. He's saying that you are utterly lost and incapable of figuring it out and God had to reveal it to you. 
You're bankrupt. You're utterly hopeless. You were separated from God and you weren't going to come up on your own a way to make this right. That's what verse 26 talks about. Verse 27, in the very next verse, we read these words, the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. 26, you're totally lost. You can't figure it out. 27, Christ, God himself is now in you. Right? It doesn't say just that God is with you. We've seen that all throughout the Old Testament. But he's saying Christ is in you. He resides in you. He dwells in you. So how does that transformation happen? How do we go from people who are distanced and separated and hopeless before God to being the resting place where Christ now dwells? And I think it's this. God didn't bid you. He bought you. He didn't bid you. He bought you. Early on in my trading days, you know, when I was a junior trader and just, just starting to get in the rhythm of things, uh, I had the amazing opportunity to, that, that one of the biggest oil traders in the, in the world worked a couple desks away from me and he would ask me, and he'd, he'd ask me and ask me about my trading, give me feedback and stuff, and he really kind of taught me some ropes. And one day he was like, what did you do today? What are the trades that you entered? I was like, you know what? I thought the market was going to rally. I thought it was going to go up. I wanted to buy these securities. I placed a bid. I placed a bid, which is an offer that, which is the price that I would pay for it. But the market just got away from me. I never bought it. And, and I just never benefited from that. Okay? And this is what he said to me, Brian, don't bid it, buy it. Don't bid it, buy it. If you really want it, just, don't just show a price but actually go and pay the price that it's offered. If you really want it, if you really believe in it, then go and buy that thing. Pay the price that you need to pay to get it done. If you really value something, if you really want to be a part of something, don't bid it, buy it. And that, church, is what God did for you on the cross. The price that was paid for you was Jesus, the Son of God, on the cross. And so now when God looks at you, he sees Christ in you. That you are not defined. Your self-worth, your value, your identity are not dependent on, what, on the prices that you pay. Your value, your identity, your self-worth are determined by the price that was paid for you. That's one of the glorious mysteries of the cross, that because Jesus died for you. Now when God looks at you, he doesn't see you and all your shortcomings and your brokenness and your hopelessness, but he sees you and he sees Christ in you. That's your value. That's your worth. That's your sense of identity. And so what does that mean for us? You know, my counselor was asked me a while ago, she's like, why do you do so much stuff all the time? Why can't you do, just do less? Why do you put this pressure and this burden on yourself? And my answer to her was this. Because I think my worth in this world is dependent on my usefulness to other people. That the more that I do, the more useful that I am to other people, that's where I'll find my value and worth. And she's like, you think that's about every relationship in your life? Even your relationship with your kids, even your relationship with your parents, your relationship with your spouse? I said, every single relationship. Right? Because... I don't think human to human I have any relationships in my life that are truly unconditional. I think they're all based on somewhat on the value that I provide for those other people. And you'd be like, that's a pessimistic way of looking at it, but why then do the people that we love the most, 
Why are they the same people that disappoint or hurt us or make us the most angry when they don't live up to our expectations? That's not unconditional love. But this is a thing, and that seems kind of hopeless, but this is a thing. Personally, the mystery of God gives me hope because it's the only relationship in my life that is truly unconditional. It's the only relationship that I didn't have to work to deserve or to earn. It's because of the price that God paid for me, Jesus on the cross. That's the basis of my relationship and my worth before God. And knowing that there's a God out there who loves me, who doesn't see me for what I am or what I'm not, but sees me as perfect as Christ, that gives me hope. And that's what helps transform some of these relationships in my life. That's how some of these relationships, my family, my wife, my kids, my church, that's how transformation is happening. So those relationships are more unconditional and more based on love than being based on what we do to deserve those things. Okay, and the last point is this. The mystery of God gives purpose. There's this idea uh, in, in marketing called plan obsolescence. And it's this. It's a policy of producing consumer goods that rapidly become obsolete and so require replacing. Right? You guys know this because that's why your iPhone, the battery on your iPhone doesn't last as long as you swore that it used to. That's why, for the sisters, that's why nylons run. Right? Are you telling me they can't make a pair of nylons that never run? They obviously can, but they do it so you keep coming back when those things break, when those things don't function properly, they do it so you can keep coming back and buying more and more and more. And it's almost as if the world is disappointing by design. Because this much is true. You were created to want more than what this world has to offer. A pastor friend of mine put it this way. He said the first time he brought his young children to Disneyland, they left. And as they left, his daughter began to cry. And he bent down and he looked at her and he used this as an opportunity to explained to her her design for a joy that's everlasting. He said to her, the reason why you leave, the reason why you cry when we leave a place like Disneyland is because you were designed for a different purpose, a joy that never ends, a joy that lasts. And, if you, and, and, and I believe that you find that joy that, li- that lasts, you find that purpose in the mystery of God. Again, if you look at chapter 2, the verse that we read at the beginning, what Paul is saying in this verse is what you're looking for. The love, the assurance, the understanding, the knowledge, the wisdom, they're all found in Jesus alone. He's saying you won't find them anywhere else. You know, one preacher compares this to a treasure map. He says the whole point of the treasure map is to show you where the treasure is, right? X marks the spot. This is where you need to dig. Don't Go off the trail and dig in other places. X marks the spot. Dig here because this is where you will find the treasure. And you could say the whole point of this passage, the whole point of Paul's ministry, you could even argue the whole point of the Bible is this. The cross marks the spot. Everything points to Jesus. Stop digging in other places. Stop looking elsewhere. Jesus and the cross is where you will find the treasure that you seek. And the passage also says this, the treasures are not just found in him, but they're hidden in him. They're hidden in him. They're not just found, they're hidden. And what that means is that you won't get all of it right away. It's going to take some time. And so, not so much you have to work at it or you have to earn it and deserve it. That's not part of it. 
But I think what he's arguing is this is what your life will look like. This can be the purpose of your life. Alison Milbank writes this. She's a Christian author, and she says, The more I study and meditate upon the Gospels, the more distant and mysterious the figure of Christ becomes. I can imagine the places, Capernaum, Jordan, the Temple Mount, Bethany, but I cannot imagine Jesus in the same way. He often seems elusively too large for his setting. I think what, I think what Paul is, I think what she's saying is this, Jesus isn't like Disney movies, right? Because during the shelter in place, my, I signed up for Disney Plus, and one of the things that me and my family are doing are watching all these classic Disney movies from my youth and my wife's youth. And normally I'm more into film than my wife, but it's, it's, it's crazy because we watch these movies like Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast, and she knows every single word to every single song. She knows, she knows it like the back of her hand. And it coincides with the four or five VHS tapes that she had when she was growing up. But this is the thing. When you watch these movies now, what was once so life-giving, once, what was once so entertaining that we could watch it over and over and over again, you watch them, you're like, is this as great as it used to be? Is this kind of outdated? Is this kind of politically incorrect or maybe even racist? You watch and you think, how could I have watched this 10,000 times? But Jesus is better than the classic Disney films of our years, of our youth. As the years go by, the more I meditate on Jesus, the depths of mystery and wonder and strangeness and beauty that I find in him only continue to grow. He's not getting smaller, he's getting bigger. He isn't easier to understand, he isn't more familiar, but if anything, the vastness, the vastness is even more pronounced. To borrow from the words of Whitman, he is so large that he contains multitudes. It means in my human understanding, there are things that I think cannot coexist in one person and one being. But these things that I think should be in conflict, they find perfect harmony in Jesus. Things like grace and truth, mercy and justice, holiness and yet still loving someone like me. There will never come a day when we say we've come to the end of the mystery of our God. There will never come a day when we say we have mined all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge which have been hidden from us. Now what's next? No matter how many treasures we found, no matter how far into him we go, he will always see us coming and he will always say to us in the words of Lewis, further up and further in. So how do we explore this mystery of God? With whom do we search that which is unsearchable? The answer that Paul would tell you is the church. The church is definitely not a building. We know that now. It's not just a service that we participate. It's not just something that we stream on Sunday. The church is a place and the people where our hearts may be encouraged, where we are knit together in love more than any other place. It's where we explore and find in Christ all the hidden treasures that we seek. And that's why Paul did what he did. That's why he toiled. That's why he suffered. And that's what our church is here to do because we are not in the church service business. And we're not in the business of teaching people to pray and read the word. Those are all great things, but that's not our primary business. We are in the treasure-finding business. We're here so that people who want that better life, that abundant life, that fuller life, people who want that can find it in Jesus alone. 
So if you're here today and you are far from God, if you feel like you're on the spiritual outside looking in, and if you're like me and you're trying everything and putting, spending all your effort trying to keep your life together and you're not even doing that good of a job of it, if you're struggling with the disappointment of this world, looking for the secret that is holding you back from a better life, then the good news is that you've come to the right place. Welcome to our church. The cross marks the spot. And let's go find some treasures together. Let's pray.